So, Miles, let's yes. take Rain Man. But, in, but make it for kids. Rain Man for kids. But instead of gambling, oh, we'll have at least one scene in the casino, but maybe they're just playing video games. We're watching The Wizard. everybody how are you doing how are you doing miles doing pretty good and welcome back everyone to the more you nerd you know drew this is this is our last i don't know what we're calling these but our, our last challenge of the year because next year we're going to be or next week we're, uh month we're gonna do, doing our our annual mores to to cap off this this year and this year has been uh, a weird one and it's been uh, a difficult one for for many people myself included but i will say and this is going to sound a little sappy but doing this show with you returning to the more you nerd and and doing something that i i truly love doing has been such a a pocket of light in in my in my life in particular and I feel like I, I, I don't even know who listens to us anymore. If any, any of our old people <laughs> came back with us when we came back. But I will say, even if it's just you and me, I would rather not be doing anything else every week with you. You're one of my best friends. You're one of the best people I know. And this has been such an absolute treat. This year has been a ride. And I think I personally think that what we are doing with the more you nerd is some of the best stuff that we've done. Well, Miles, I can't. It caught me off guard with that one, man. I gotta say, I I completely agree, and I I don't want to say anything else because you just said it so well, and I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to try to I outdo mean, you because I'd I'd no, fail. No, no. And... It's, it's it's nothing like that. <laughs> I mean, one of the things you know, um, because I I think when we first started the show, I was getting a little in my head a little bit. I'm like, oh man, are we are we agreeing too much? Maybe one of us should kind of play heel a little bit, but. Honestly, I just love chatting with you, dude. Like this is is so fun, and I think that we're hitting a pocket of doing a things of a mixture of trying to expand both our own and our listeners' nerd horizons, but also doing things that I think, especially in a year like this, make us happy for sure. Because that is what we need, really. Oh, and and a lot of people have always approached you and approached me about what they liked about the more you know was often, you know, we did this very positive spin on things, even things that we didn't like. And that is something that I've always been super proud of this show for and proud of you for, because this was, you know, your baby. And, you know, I mean, all props to you because, you know, I came in a year later, but I, I think that that foundation, you know, I think that's what makes this show so special to me is because, you know, we're not always super positive about the things we experience, but we try to come from an objective, positive place because, you know, the Internet is not exactly that. (laughs) (laughs) I I just I think about this, especially this time of year, uh, because, you know, we're getting to the holiday season and uh, my son is a Christmas baby. Uh, He was born on Christmas Eve in the year 2011, which is almost nine years ago as we're recording this. And I just think about starting this show. My wife was pregnant like 
This show is technically older than my son. It is something that I have always done while he has been alive. And uh, I I do wonder if, you know, my kids will ever go back and listen to this stuff to see what their dorky, weird dad was doing when they were kids. And Mike will always would you know, who who used to be on the show always kind of gave you guff about that. He's like, you know, that he would he would listen to this and be like, oh my dad, what, what was he doing? Not taking care of me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I I don't know. I, I think it's a cool thing because, you know, even if he doesn't listen to it, I know we're just kind of waxing poetic, but I, even if he doesn't listen to it like, you know, as a teenager, this that's a documentation he will always have of you. And I think that is something very special. And I think doing eight years of something, that's something at one point in his life he will probably go into. And I think he'd be proud of you. I hope. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> He's not a teenager yet, so we'll see when he uh, <laughs> when he rebels and says, podcasting, I'm going to be on TV podcasting anyway. <laughs> well, what if he throws you for a loop and, and, and is like, you know, Dad? I want to guess on the show. <laughs> that's a whole that's a whole other <laughs> that'll conversation. Be a, that'll be a wild day. <laughs> but let us switch focus uh, again. This month was supposed to be us saying bye bye to Quibi, uh, the streaming service. And Quibi decided to quit by a little too quickly. Uh, and so we're we're just kind of filling some gaps and just doing some stuff that we thought might sound fun. Just, you know, like podcasters do. Uh. Uh, and so, I'm pretty happy with the, the choice that we made. Yeah, for sure. Uh, <laughs> it was uh, done on the fly, something we talked about. And and uh, we watched The Wizard, the 1989 film starring Fred Savage uh, as as he goes across the, the country, while not really from Utah to California, with his brother and a girl they meet along the way to compete in the video game Armageddon contest. And uh, what, a let's, <laughs> what, what a name for a contest. Yeah. Video Armageddon. Uh, so so before we do that, we do have to talk about a little little background to this movie, because this movie is widely known, at least today, thanks to the magic of the Internet, as being one of the biggest uh, uh, product placement movies uh, of all time, uh, and or it, at least it, one of the first it's interesting that you say that because in every interview that I have found and most of the stuff that that we glean for our our history stuff was kind of taken from these interviews because there oddly isn't a lot of of production notes that I can find and until this year. I think there's a new Blu-ray, but we'll get that, into that later. But he, he made a point. Todd Holland, the director of the film, made a point to talk about how that used to be something that no one thought of. Like if you just wanted to use a Pepsi or a Coke in a movie, you just did it. It wasn't something you had to clear with, you know, 15 lawyers. <laughs> now this movie was different uh, in, in, the, in the use of Nintendo. And, and this movie does have the reputation for that. But I, it was interesting to hear about him talk about like the late 80s being a little bit more innocent than people remember because you know, product placement wasn't quite what it is today. Whereas in, you know, Transformers 2, you have, you know, one of the Transformers turned to a, a Mountain Dew can. Uh, in Transformers 1, the Michael Bay Transformers are talking about, uh, there's all of a sudden an Xbox 360 Transformer on the street that and a vending machine on the street and all of that. Uh, so this is a part of the so so to get back to this, this is part of something I did not know about this particular time. So in 1988, yes, way back in the 1980s, 
uh, there was actually a chip shortage for the ROM chips that Nintendo used in in making video games. And so that caused a delay to what is known as the American version of Super Mario Brothers 2. Now, that's a whole other conversation about how yes. Super Mario <laughs> Brothers 2 in Japan they thought would be too hard for America, so they took a game called Doki Doki Panic and they reskinned all the characters with with Mario characters and released it in in 1988, actually in 1988 and we see that game here as well. But do, they, do you know why it's called Doki Doki Panic or basically a uh, heart attack? I don't know that actually because well from from what I have I have heard and and this comes from a <laughs> a podcast I listen to called How to Skip Played it's because the the uh term doki doki is an uh, automatopoeia uh device uh that's supposed to simulate a a heartbeat a doki 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 Doki. Yeah, and I've Doki seen Doki Doki in in other things. Uh, I mean, we talked about Doki Doki Literature Club. Granted, that's an American game, but uh, and but, he probably took that as you know, yeah, a, a reference. Uh, but but I, I just thought that was kind of a cool little little piece of trivia. Yeah. Uh, so, but Nintendo has taken took decided to take the opportunity with this chip shortage to start the start the gears turning for uh, a promotion of one of their future games in feature films. Uh, So Tom Pollock of Universal Studios approached Nintendo to feature their games in a film inspired by competitions that Nintendo was doing at the time. You may know some of these competitions if you're in the the video game collector sphere, because most of the time they had these special cartridges that had competition versions of games and the only and those competition cartridges only existed for these competitions. That makes them very rare and very expensive. But Mm -hmm. Uh, Pollock initially envisioned the film that he wanted to make uh, as being uh, The Who's Tommy for kids. Uh, so if you're not familiar with the, with the Who's Tommy. What a wild concept. Yeah, that that, that deaf, dumb and blind kid sure plays a mean pinball. Uh, that didn't happen. Uh, of course, uh, but he did, however, still get the deal with Nintendo, which marketing used uh, to tout the first public public reveal of a little game. I'm not sure if you guys have heard about it. Super Mario Brothers three. Uh, now, I had to look this up because I needed to know, like, because I just saw Wait, Mario Brothers two came out in 88 and this is a 1989 movie. <laughs> yeah. Mario Brothers two came out uh, in Japan, well, Doki Doki Panic came out in Japan in 1986 uh, or okay, 87. That's, that's why I was wondering because I, I had I had 86 in my brain for some reason. Yeah, it was 87 for Doki Doki Panic. Reskinned as Mario Brothers 2 in 88. Mario Brothers 3 actually came out in 89. It was already out before The Wizard came out in theaters in the US, but it didn't come out in the US until 1990. So you, you, so it was already out in, in Japan. It was already out in Japan, yes. It was, it was out in Japan while the movie came out here. And at, uh, and because at the time, you know, that was in a pre-internet era, we didn't know that stuff. You know, you might have some uncle who works for Nintendo that says that they've got <laughs> X game that's out. But uh, but if you if right. you if you were in the niche, you might know about it. Or if you're doing a lot of international traveling and you were in that niche, you would know about it. But that wasn't really happening to nearly the same extent that it was that it does today. Um, right. I, I think like uh, EGM or GamePro, I think, had done a preview of what had been seen in Japan. But even then. They were probably just given a couple of screen grabs and if that. that's all she wrote. 
Um, and that's, I mean, yeah, because that's one thing to take in consideration. Because I, I was thinking to myself, my memory of this of this movie is the first time that I ever saw Mario three. Like that, that is what I know this movie to be. So it wasn't until I was doing research for for this episode that it came to light that oh no, no it, it had been about a year in Japan, and I was like, well, I was six. How would I know? <laughs> you know um so what what they did a young, they got a young director uh todd holland who they, apparently they didn't want to begin with he was a kind of a spielberg protege and they according to holland they wanted a tv guy someone who would just basically crank out this movie but he somehow still got the job uh to direct a script written by uh david chilson for this video game themed movie aimed at kids the film already had fred savage attached to it at the start like he came with this script apparently so fred savage at the time was exploding in popularity because the wonder years which is if you're under the age of maybe 32 you may not know this show but it was a massively popular show on i think abc in the late 80s and early 90s it was a coming of age uh drama and I think in 88 is when the show started. So yeah, it was, it was red hot. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, no, I was, I was agreeing with you because I was trying to say it came out in 88. So we would have been like right, right. between maybe season one and two of filming. <laughs> right. And while Holland has repeatedly said through the years, that the film was never intended to be a commercial for Nintendo because a lot of the the critical response was, oh, this is basically a, com- a commercial for Nintendo. He does admit that Universal itself was looking for hopefully to make a quick buck on two things, utilizing Savage to the young crowd and the po- and the growing popularity of the Nintendo Entertainment System. Because we might remember the NES as being massive, but it took a long time for it to get there. It took a few years. And so we were hitting kind of that peak NES, uh, like that massive, massive flash around 88 89 i mean i i remember that in particular like that was when i became aware of of video games really like that's because 89 is when the game boy came out and that was the first real video Mm -hmm. game thing i had ever owned and correct me if i'm wrong and we may not know this off the fly because i think i got my nes on my fifth or sixth birthday but it wasn't until about that time that they packaged it with the duck hunt mario combo cartridge and the light gun is am am i mistaken i don't know i actually never owned an nes i always played them my cousin had one i played them Mm. in different places but i never actually owned owned one so okay um but yeah i mean it it is important to kind of state about this nintendo uh or the uh the kind of i guess reality of nintendo at the time because from Universal's perspective, they wanted to hit these main things. You know, Fred Savage is the new hot ticket. He's this young star. I think he was tur- he turned 13 during the filming of this uh, movie. So they had someone they could really bank, and they had this new, cool, what they thought was going to be a fad. <laughs> and <laughs> little did they know. <laughs> well, I mean, keep in mind, this is we're not that far away from video games, definitely crashing and and almost right. being completely no, gone that's, that's, that's so. an excellent point because this is uh 
four years away, five years away from the, the original video game crash. Yeah, that was 84, 85. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so with Holland's from Holland's hiring to the completion of the film, everything had to be done extremely quickly to fit Fred Savage's schedule because he only had five weeks between filming Wonder Year seasons. And according to Holland, and again, this is according to him himself, uh, he had to fight Universal every step of the way from the casting of the character of Haley, uh, who Jenny uh, Lewis uh, was cast as that. And we'll talk about her uh, as we get into the episode, because she's much more famous for something other yes. than acting. Which one do you say it like that? It sounds like it's awful, but no, she's just a singer. She's a musician. Anyway, uh, they, uh, Universal apparently wanted a Texas beauty pageant type, which I just don't see that has uh, no. as working at all. I, I read six or seven interviews with with Holland and he he brings this up specifically every single time that Universal like this man's got some scars from this from this movie like he talks about how much he loved making it with the cast and the crew that he had but when it came to like the business side of it it sounds like it he he was hurt by this movie but he he harps in that they they had they had basically told this like I, I think they actually had a Texas Texas beauty pageant like girl that they said this is this is who you're casting and he said the biggest fight that they ever got in despite every other fight they 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 had was over the casting of Jenny Lewis. Ooh. Interesting. Uh well, so from from that to the emotional pathos of the character of Jimmy, uh which apparently was not it, it did not exist in the initial draft of the movie, it seemed like every creative step came with some kind of speed bump. Creative tension got to the point where the two camps, which Holland again describes as us being the director, the cast and the crew versus them, the writer, the producers in the studio created such an air of mistrust during the, the whole thing. Universal wanted the entire script to be shot, which that seems like a weird thing to say if you're not a movie maker. But in some cases, there are scripts that are so long that just include background that you that the actors might need or the story might need, but that you don't ever really need to to film. I know that sounds strange. Oh, no, um, no I, I get what you're saying. But uh, but yeah, they insisted that he shoot everything. And so that led to the initial two and a half hour cut of the movie. Now, it is wild. The movie it is it's, wild uh, to me. The, the two and a half hour cut the, exists. The theatrical cut is only an hour and a half. So there's an hour of extra content somewhere. Uh, well, I know where it is because Miles and I talked about it beforehand. And we'll, I'm sure, talk about it shortly. But uh, yes, eventually Universal just washed their hands of the whole thing. And as a result, Holland kind of created what he wanted to create with it. They, they He chose to focus on the authentic aspects of the children's relationships and this fantasy road trip that they were going on. And to be quite honest, that's what shows in this movie. That is, I think, what works. A hundred percent. Because one thing that he harped on a lot and in most interviews that I have seen is at the time he's like, I was, he was, he knew nothing about video games, which is apparent. And I, and I, and I mean that with all respect, it's apparent that he doesn't know video games intimately, but what he wanted to do was kind of be an ambassador for video games. He said that he wanted to make this median look cool to everyone. And, and that's something that I, we don't talk enough about because you will hear some old nerds who are not, 
as bitter. Um, talk about when video games weren't cool. Uh, Drew and I both lived this this era where you had friends that liked video games, but by and large, it was not the cool thing to be into. You know, everyone might have a Nintendo, but not everyone really gamed. If that makes any sense. Uh, and that, that's that's a very very good way to put it. Like it was a little. It was a slight distraction for some people. It was a way of life for others. And right. that is becoming a little, you know, it's, it's definitely different now. But yes. And, and that, that's something I wanted to communicate because how Holland was talking about how, you know, it was a very different thing. And, and while he knows he took liberties, he said the reason that he thinks that this movie worked is because he didn't know anything about video games so he could communicate things to a normal audience. And I, I don't disagree with him even though I will make fun of the mistakes that he made as a gamer and as someone who has grown up his entire life with video games. <laughs> I, I also, I understand and honestly appreciate what he did. And I feel like Nintendo did too, because keep in mind, this was again, a time of product placement wasn't so much a constant thought. And for, according to Holland, Nintendo by all accounts were excellent partners. They had two things they really wanted to promote. Uh, Super Mario Brothers three, and the new Power Glove, uh, both it's which so bad. It's so it's bad and it's bad. Like, <laughs> I mean, I was using the the uh, the I, latter, I, not the former. I, Thank you. I know I'm using both of them because it is both. It is both <laughs> of them. But so both of these things serendipitously fit with the story so well. And Holland did say. And this is kind of the one thing Nintendo got a little, you know, when they brought over the Power Glove, because it was top secret at the time, the Nintendo representative brought it in like this big metal briefcase with like handcuffs and stuff, which in turn inspired them to use that for Lucas's scene in the movie where he uses the Power Glove, which I thought was pretty cool. Uh, but according to Holland, the, the the game company never interfered with the script. They never called for any changes. The only thing they ever did was send an overseer for the scene with the power glove because this was a peripheral they wanted to really, really uh, market to ensure that it was respectively done in a proper light. Which, considering how anal retentive Nintendo is now about their IP, seems pretty liberal of them. <laughs> I mean, you say that. I do think that... I have I, I obviously it's still very the reasons that they are super protective over their IP is not necessarily the IP, but making sure that their IP is presented in the best possible way. Well, and this and this seems three years later, the Mario Brothers movie happened. And... Well, OK, OK, that's a good point. It's a good point. Wow, this movie, this movie and the Mario Brothers movie were only three years apart, weren't they? That is. Wild, right? That's wild. Oh no, man, no, I, I I understand why they got they got persnickety, but it's just it's cool to see this like cool Uncle Nintendo. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Uh, so the Wizard was released on December fifteenth, nineteen eighty nine, with on a budget of six million dollars, and it brought in fourteen million, which apparently was seen as a colossal but expected failure by Universal. Uh, it did not fare much better with critics, with Roger Ebert calling it one of the worst films of 1989. And it still has a 20-something percent on Rotten Tomatoes. But, oh, I'm here to but I'm here to tell you, don't buy that. Uh, because mm -hmm. th because that oh, we'll get into it. they were we'll not the intended audience. The intended audience, us, 
uh, however, felt very different. And it was a constant rental among kids, became one of the long favored cult classic film referenced a lot uh, and remembered a lot for for not just the the reveal of Super Mario Brothers three, but also a lot of other stuff that happens, uh, including a very memeable moment about the power glove. I love. Well, so one of the one of the good takeaways from a lot of these interviews that uh, I read with uh, the director was, you know, for the longest time, he said he could not get work for almost a year after this movie because it bombed so bad. He ended up falling into doing uh, TV. He directed over 50 episodes of Larry Sanders' show and won an Emmy. He directed over uh, 26 episodes of Malcolm Middle, won an Emmy, and has constantly done very good TV work and, you know, led a happy career. But he said for the longest time, he he thought that movie was something that only he liked. Like, he was still very proud of that film. And it wasn't until Universal unceremoniously released it on, on DVD where he decided to buy it off Amazon and because he was still not on speaking terms with them. <laughs> so he couldn't get a, a comp copy. And he saw the, the Amazon reviews. And he said he started kind of crying because he said all these reviews were so positive. And he's like, I found that the audience that I was trying to reach in the first place, really loved this movie. And he's, he said, I wish that Universal would actually care about this film and give the fans a release that they deserve because the initial DVD release and the, the Blu-ray release didn't really have much to it until this year. Shout Factory, who had been in contact with the director and a lot of fans, because that's the one cool thing that Shout does is like they're, they're, they know that they're international collectors. And, and he wanted to detail that there was one guy who had collected like the Japanese and Bulgarian posters of this movie. Wow. And, and that fan ended up sending those posters to him saying, you deserve this. This is yours, which I thought, oh, that was so nice. Um, but Shout has a bunch of special features. I think they got Fred Savage and the kid who plays Jimmy, as well as uh, uh, Holland and a couple of the people who do director's commentary. There's a bunch of featurettes on it. And and it also has a very cool Nintendo style 8 bit cover, which looks great. That's pretty dope. And I mean, you can get it right now on Amazon for, I think, $18, $17. That's uh, not it's bad. a very, it's not bad. very solid Blu-ray. And I I wanted to make sure I communicate that because the holidays are coming up. And it would be <laughs> awesome to uh do we still have the Amazon affiliate link? Probably. Turn? I'd have to dig it up. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bother. So <laughs> that's but, where I was going. That's where I was going with that. But anyway, yes, there's a there, there's a very good Blu-ray. And if you're gonna buy this movie, if you didn't watch it with us, uh, or if you watch it on HBO Max and you want to own it, that is the version to buy. So we've gone through a lot of the history. Let's break down in as few sentences as possible what this movie is about. So I'm gonna try this. Okay. Time me. Uh, So the movie opens up with a little boy named Jimmy uh, carrying a lunchbox walking on the side of the road in Utah. Seems Mm -hmm. to be way out. We learned that Jimmy uh, is... they never outright say what is going on. Maybe something uh, on on the spectrum. uh, Maybe... Yes. And I... (sighs) This is one of the moments where I, 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 where at first I was like, oh, this movie's failing this character. Because on one hand, it's doing a good job, job of showing prejudice against um, people with uh, uh, mental disabilities or mental illnesses or trauma. 
and or or, because, or just or different different cognitions or just, or just yes or just different cognition because every every adult around him one is talking like he's not in the room but also talking very demeaning about his condition and i thought that played very well in that especially at this time no one was going to understand that there was something different about jimmy and I thought that was well done, but I thought it needed to be fleshed out. And now knowing that there's a two and a half hour cut that goes into all of this probably would have been makes makes yeah. a little more sense. Uh, so, well, so so while a lot of the adults treat this as an inconvenience, they, the, his his mom and his stepdad want to put him in a home. Um, we learned that his half brother, Corey, Played by Fred Savage, not Ben Savage. Confused the entire Corey movie. In Boy Meets World. Yes. Uh, uh, does it feel that way and feels that that they don't want to put he doesn't want to put Jimmy in a home. So 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 we have a whole mixed family situation where Corey and his brother, Nick, who's played by Christian Slater. There's a tremendous cast in this movie, by the way. Yeah. I just got to say that. And, then, and also, Christian Slater was 19 at the time, so he was just a kid, too. Yeah. Like, it's it's wild, and he's great. I almost want a separate spinoff movie about the road trip that he and his dad have. Well, because again, well, so that's a whole other side of this movie that I also absolutely love, which is, uh, it, well, we'll get to it. So, uh, so. Yeah. Okay. Well, before, before we do, are you just trying to, like, break through the plot, and then we'll talk about it, or you yes, want to talk I'm just, about I it? I want to we... break through the plot, and then we'll talk okay. about it. Okay. Okay. So I'll shut up. So we've got so we've got Corey who decides to break Jimmy out of the the home that he's been put in and go on the run. And Jimmy keeps wanting to go to California. One of the few things he says in the movie is California, California, California. And part of the movie is trying to figure out what that is. Meanwhile, Jimmy and Corey's dad, uh, Sam, played by Bo Bridges, again, tremendous. Uh, Sam and Nick, Christian Slater's character, go off trying to find them. It is important to note, however, that uh, the the Corey and Nick's mother has passed away before this, and Jimmy has a different mother from uh, Sam's second marriage. That marriage is also over, and she is now married to Mr. Bateman, who is played by a guy named Sam McMurray, which you know him as being just this awful, terrible guy and so many things. Just like, so many things. Great like an actor. Like a late 80s business jer- jerk dude. Um, yeah. Uh, so so they, go on, they go on the road and they end up uh, trying to get to a bus station and they, they don't have enough money to buy a ticket. But what they figure out as, uh, as Corey places Jimmy in front of an arcade machine uh, as, they're tr- as he's trying to figure out what to do, that Jimmy is amazing at video games and blows everybody's scores out of the water. And this is where they meet Haley who maybe has the most mysterious background of all. She is uh, she is a, a daughter of a trucker. And we find out some of, of her, um, you know, not necessarily super happy backstory uh, through the course of the movie as uh, as they the three of them decide to team up and join uh, and get into the video Armageddon video game tournament in L.A. in order to win fifty thousand dollars that they're going to split. And that's really what the movie is, is their their journey across uh, across uh, the the 
the state and a half that it would take to get from Utah to California. Uh, and some pl- so it, 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 it's also children hitchhiking. So it's still a pretty decent feat. Yeah, I mean, it was the 80s, so this was a more normal thing. <laughs> hitchhiking was, but also children, like 13 years old and one nine-year-old are who have almost no money except for what they grab some from from people in well, in video again, game things. They, they hustle people all across the the southwest yeah, and i love but, that but it's great I, I do too but like i i still think it's pretty amazing that they made it as far as they did it's, it's not like now where they can just get a you know a ride share or something you know it's it's these kids were were hitching and and living pretty dangerously <laughs> Yeah. So so they of course, as part of this, they come across the I don't want to even call him the villain of the of of the uh, <laughs> of the movie, because he's not really the villain. He is, however, the competition. I would call him the villain. Uh, I think the villain is Putnam, but that's a that's a whole other. Oh, oh, you're talking about Lucas. Yeah, I'm talking about Lucas. Uh, oh, OK. Yeah, um, they're both villains. Yeah, in different ways. Lucas is the other kid, a kid that they try to hustle. And then he's got the power glove and it's super cool. It's like, I love the power glove. It's so bad. So here's a problem with that scene is we see that as soon as Jimmy sees the power glove and sees him like do amazing at Rad Racer, he kind of storms off. And then later they they refer to the fact that that Jimmy lost, but I just didn't think Jimmy played at all. He he didn't. And then so, this, again, this is one of those again, things where maybe there's a forty five minute cut deleted that, scene. Yeah, yes. deleted scene yeah. of that. Uh, similarly, like there's a whole there there are also other parts of this movie where uh, like they get dropped off in a town. And then two scenes later, they're shown in the back of the same truck with the same people. And it's like. Well, that's that's weird editing. But, you know, it, what are you going to do? No, you're not meant to like I'm looking at this as a 35 year old man picking this movie apart because I'm reviewing it. I would not have noticed right. that when I was a kid. Uh, well, and and th- that's the thing is like there are things that you notice because you were just kind of academically looking at things. But you're also do I care? And the answer is no, because yeah. there, there were there were moments where they were trying to shush traffic and they basically shot the same car going by a couple times. <laughs> and. I noticed it, but I I didn't care. <laughs> yeah. So um, as uh, another part of this is the character of Putnam, who is this really sleazy looking, uh, balding glasses dude with a bolo tie that Jimmy's mom and stepdad have hired to bring him home, find him and bring so, him home. I want to tell you something about Putnam. I was going to save this for when we were going in depth into things, but um, uh, Putnam is played by an actor named Will Seltzer. And stop me if you know this, Drew. Uh, Will Seltzer auditioned for the role of Luke Skywalker in Star Wars. I and did not know that. Lucas's, he was Lucas's favorite behind Mark Hamill. So <sighs> the entire time I'm watching this movie, because it's 89, and this this balding guy could have been Luke Skywalker. Poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, honestly, he does he does exactly what he's supposed to do as a kid's villain. There's nothing wrong with his performance in this movie. But the entire time I'm like, this guy was like the favorite for Luke Skywalker until Mark Hamill. (laughs) (laughs) But I just thought that was a a fun little piece of trivia that like apparently in his uh, Star Wars audition, he blew Lucas away. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, I just thought it was a cool little piece. And, you know. So so really, this movie is the kids on their way to California. Uh, 
the brother and the dad on their own road trip trying to follow them uh, to, to get to them. And that's just a whole other kind of heartwarming situation. And you've got Putnam, who is trying to track him down to bring him back and just being a general sleazeball. Uh, and and of, it, then there's this whole arc when they get to Reno, which is. OK, the two. Reno scenes are the best, but also let's break this down. So Putnam is also, for some reason, in competition with the dad and the son trying to find because they're family members. If he doesn't get the kid back, he doesn't get paid. Right, he doesn't get paid. I get that. But he's like slashing their tires and having their car towed and all this stuff. And I'm like, dude, you are like a legitimately terrible person. Yeah. And supposedly this is what he does for a living. So this is not the first time that he's done any of this, but it certainly seems like it's the first time he's done any of this. He goes yeah. up to, he goes up to people. And it's like, Hey, where are these kids? And it's like, if I saw a dude that looked like that asking for where kids are, I would not tell that person. anything. No <laughs> kidding. And not a single person thought that was suspicious at all. Again, like again, real life versus I know, a movie time different time realistically the most legit real thing about that is when oh man when Haley pulls a a supreme flex when he see when they when he's about to come up on him in the casino one of the best scenes in the entire movie we'll save that for a second yeah but so yeah so they so they they escape reno we we and and we uh and we have now teamed up with one of Haley's truck dad's trucker friends that are going to drive him the oh, rest of the way uh was it spanky or spanky, spanky or? was his name yes yeah. and uh he's and so the, great i love that character yeah uh they, they get to la of course jimmy gets through to the finals uh he's up against lucas and some other girl who's only in this one scene and i don't remember what her name is and of course after all the practice and training they've done the only game that they could possibly do uh, show off as the final is a game that no one's ever played before super mario brothers 3 <gasps> and of course jimmy pulls ahead at the last second to win the day and then the movie's not over and this is where I want to I want to save this conversation because I feel like some more stuff is going to come out as we get into into okay. this. So. First of all, I I love and, and and this is something that Todd Holland talked a lot about is like he wanted to highlight this is a kid's fantasy movie. So they are doing things that a kid would think of like hopping like when, when Jimmy and Corey are first running away, they hop into that hostess Wonder Bread truck and. Man, if if you're if you're gonna hit one truck, the hostess Wonder Bread truck, you are living large. <laughs> when, uh, I watched this Rebecca with Rebecca, and she said, "Well, okay, so the guy, the driver, gets out of the truck with a tray of stuff to take in. How did he not see the kids in the back?" <laughs> well, so uh, yeah, that, that 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 is a problem because it's it, the the movie makes makes it look like they they have traveled a good distance before stopping again, and it didn't seem like that would be the case. I, again, this is all this is all nitpicking for the the nitpicking right. sake kids fantasy movie uh but uh, again when, they, when they're walking out of that truck mouse mouse like smeared chocolate i remember as a kid being like man best idea that's the life right there <laughs> um i also want to say that todd holland made the absolute correct choice in fighting for jenny lewis because she is the all-star of this movie totally absolutely 100 percent. fantastic performance it, 
part of me and i was talking i was talking to krista who watched this with me and she she absolutely loved it and loved her like thought she was one of the best child kid characters she'd ever seen and it made me think because i know she she was definitely known for this this role and she had several successive roles after this i'm honestly a little shocked that she didn't become a bigger star for her acting than she did um holland talked about while you know Ben Savage was more classically trained and was a lot more of a poised actor. She had this naturalistic style and it's not that her scenes were ad-libbed, but she made them feel natural. And she just did this whole kind of, you know, badass girl thing so naturally. And he said part of it was because that's who she was, but part of it was because she knew how to play that kind of character. And I mean, she, she becomes for me, like one of the reasons to keep watching this movie. Uh, yeah, because you know that the story that she says in the beginning isn't true because no. we, we just know that it's not. Uh, but, but but as we get closer to it and 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 it's. It's just so really like if it had been a Texas beauty pageant girl that was actually done when we actually find out what her backstory was, she'd be awful, teary, blood, blubbery, like, hey, this is, you know, that kind of thing. And it just wouldn't have worked. No, uh, there was something very authentic about that scene and her kind of indignation for feeling sorry for herself. Like she just refused to do it. And I, I just think that she was the perfectly cast character. That character is so well-written and so well-rounded. And honestly, despite the fantasy aspects of this movie, I think that the, the pathos of all the children are so well done. Like, this reminds me of something that, you know, if you take out the video game aspect and just kind of keep the runaway kids aspect, this is something we probably would have had to read for school for something. Yeah, you know? uh, and this is... This is something where we find out because uh, we've talked a little bit about Jimmy uh, doesn't doesn't speak he, when he speaks in the movie. It's typically one word or two words. And it's do you like chocolate? Yeah. I don't want to quit, That's, you know, like it, yeah. it's stuff like that. Or well, California. <laughs> and, and this is where, again, there's a two and a half hour cut of this movie. There is a a beginning of the film in the beginning of the film, the the. Uh, Nick and Corey are having an argument with their dad about what's going to happen to Jimmy. And the dad makes some offhand comment at the time that I didn't pick up on until much later. He said, e uh, ever since Jennifer. And they don't mention who Jennifer is at the time. I didn't notice it. Miss that too. Yeah. I presumed at the time that I thought it was the, 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 his ex-wife's name uh because i'm not but then she's not she's named differently well we find out about halfway through the movie that that jimmy had a twin sister named jennifer and and even little things like how you know jimmy will just go on like the dad the the stepdad is is complaining to the therapist about what jimmy does and he just gets out and he does and he he'll go over here i'll go over here he'll go by the river and it's and and the mom snaps back he will never he never goes to the river Right. And it's a good tell for what we find out later. And it almost makes me think that if you took out the video game aspect of this movie and and just kind of kept things as it is about these kids who are running away. I mean, I think you still would have had a great movie on your hand, but 
I think adding that child fantasy aspect, let, letting it almost lets kid let lets kids have like this, almost like a modern fairy tale. Like I'm gonna go to California. I'm gonna win the video game championships, and I'm gonna you know get this money for my family or or however they want to yeah, <laughs> use it. Because it's because it's not just about running away at that point. There's there's a right. purpose. There's a there is a goal, and and it's something that pushes the entire plot forward. Granted, there is also this other goal that we don't really fully understand because we get little pieces of it. And once you get the reveal at the very end, it's like, Oh, Jim, like this movie is about communication and about mm-hmm. the inability for some people to communicate the inability for, for Haley to communicate what was really happened in her life to people, the inability for Jimmy to communicate at all, the inability for, for, Christian Slater's character, Nick and Bo Bridges character, Sam as a father and son who struggle to communicate, even with when one is opening themselves up to it and how over the course of this film and over the course of this journey that they're all taking sometimes together and sometimes independently, they learn to communicate with each other. And it may not be having a conversation. Uh, Haley has a conversation. She finally says what happened. Jimmy, or, or I should say Sam and, and and Nick, Sam talks about, oh, I thought that was Corey's old video game. I thought it was broken. And and Nick says, well, I fixed it. And and he wakes up to find that Sam has taken to playing games and has hooked them up on every step of the leg. And that's how he's communicating with his son at this point. And and of course, then we have Jimmy in the final moments as as we get to the the dinosaurs, California, as they're driving home after they've all been all been reunited with everybody and they've won the tournament and there's this whole big coda at the end of the movie where they're driving home and out of nowhere jimmy starts freaking out saying california california and we find out that that was the last trip that they had taken as a family when jennifer was still alive uh jennifer died by the way she drowned we didn't talk about that uh his twin sister and and that he just he wanted to have that memory and leave these pictures, this this box that he has had the entire time that nobody has opened. Nobody's tried to open it. And it's filled with pictures of her and things that she had done. And he wanted to leave that there because that was where he thought she felt they, they happiest. Shared a moment. Yeah, they shared a moment. And, and there's so there's something you touched on. Uh, cause we're going to, we're going to bounce a little bit over this, yeah. but, uh, uh, so take that by the way, uh, 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 Roger Ebert, this, 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 yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I have a great respect for Roger Ebert. You, you done effed up here. Um, now I do think that this writing, that the writing in this movie has a lot of holes and it has a lot of conveniences, especially how the dad and the, the, and Putnam keep popping up in the same places inexplicably. Yeah. There's, there's no yeah. reason they should be sure uh, that that's fine. It's, it's, it's a kid's movie, but it's fun. But I, with, with this two and a half hour version and, and I will, I will say a lot of that two and a half hours has been rescued on the current Blu-ray. It's not part of the movie, but there is a section for deleted scenes that you can watch. I, I am, I'm, I almost wish that I wish this hadn't been a spur of the moment thing. Cause I would have liked to have bought that Blu-ray and watched a lot of the special features because one thing that I, I did appreciate about the dad playing games is I, I am hoping that it wasn't just that he discovered how to have a good time, but he wanted a way to connect with his son and his sons. And because I, as a kid, I remember 
you know, sometimes waking up, uh, not in the middle, I thought it was the middle of the night, but it was probably like nine or 10 uh, being a kid and going downstairs to get a glass of water and seeing my mom trying to play Sonic the Hedgehog <laughs> because we would play Sonic the Hedgehog all the time. We always talked about Sonic the Hedgehog or even Mario, or as, as she would pronounce being from uh, California by way of New Jersey, Mario. <laughs> um, she, but, but it, it was, it, it, I always thought it was kind of neat, even as a kid, that like seeing my mom try to play a video game because as a kid, I associated that as a, as a kid's thing. And I don't know if it was the same thing, but I, I do think that like maybe, you know, he's trying to connect with his kids somehow. And I wanted them to play that up a little bit more. I see. I, 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 but when, what you're saying is that's how I read that. It's not that he, oh, he suddenly just became a huge video game fan. Like he learned not only was this thing in the back of the truck that he thought was broken, that his son, that he clearly doesn't understand, who is rebelling and taking his truck and going out drinking, has fixed this. Which is a subplot they completely gloss over that Nick has a drinking problem. (laughs) Uh, that, that, That his son has fixed this crazy computer machine. And and that his son, they're having fun in the in the truck together and they're listening to music and they're going in the wrong direction. And and his hey, son, can you answer a question for me? What what the F is he eating this entire time? I was not able to pick that up. Oh, you mean the two different times that they use the same scene as two different points of yes. movie? What uh, is he eating? It's a donut. He, it's, they say it's a donut. It, oh, do they? OK, yeah. I, my, I couldn't get my volume right. That that one word they kept saying I, I i for whatever reason it just it was muted now, to me now, i don't know why that's so disgusting christian slater you're gonna have to explain that one to me but you know yeah um and apparently holland uh very much loved working with christian slater but said that he was very much a 19 year old he said that they had to get a production a production assistant to come to his hotel room and the hotel was uh told to give the production assistant a key to his room because he could not wake up to save his life he slept through every alarm and had to be shaken awake (laughs) however he did say that that you know when he came to work he worked very hard he was he was never you know a diva or anything but he said getting him up was the biggest obstacle of working with Kristen slater (laughs) (laughs) um according to to some notes i'm seeing uh nick's alcoholism is explored in more detail in the road and, and as well as some more tricks from uh clips from the road truck road trip scene um so one thing i, I did want to know is uh savage and lewis have a great chemistry like the, the those characters are fantastic both uh Haley and Corey are great they're they're natural like of course they have the kind of will they won't they that that you're gonna do in these kind of movies but the way it's done feels so natural and so this will this is exactly how these characters would act in real life <laughs> but i mean i because the cool thing about fred savage is his comedic timing is excellent he knows how to how to do this the snarky thing but at the same time he's no match for the quick wit of jenny lewis and i i had the best time because i remember being a kid and and thinking that she was the coolest thing in the world and turned out she kind of was the coolest thing in the world because yes, she was a child actor, but now she is known for being a indie pop rock icon. <laughs> yeah, it, part of uh, Rilo Kylie is the the one that I had had, had heard about, um, as well as a number of other things. She was part of the Postal yeah, uh, Service. 
so Rilo Kylie was 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 her main band, and that is a band that she formed with Blake Sennett. Uh, I think I pronounced that correctly. Uh, another child actor, and I'm not sure if you knew this part about Rilo Kylie. Um, Blake Blake is Pinsky from Salute Your Shorts. That is why that is so familiar. And uh, I, I actually I have met because he was because he was on uh, Boy Meets World as well. Yes, he did pop up in Boyd's World with uh, uh, Ben Savage, the other Savage Core. <laughs> yes, <laughs> uh, I have met Gene Lewis uh, a couple of times back then because a friend of mine and I, uh, we followed them around for a tour when they were doing the Southeast and uh, very, very cool people. I mean, she's total sweetheart and exactly who I wanted her to be. I, I didn't ask any questions about the wizard. I didn't ask him any questions about Sillier Shorts because they were at the time, I think, trying to break out of their, their, you know, child every star stuff. Well, every publication kept saying, you know, this band made of child stars, this band made of child stars. Oh, child stars, singer, songwriters. And, you know, after their second album, when they kind of really, really blew up, uh, you know, they, they got to shrug that off, but they were both very, very awesome people. Um, Corey has a problem uh, consistent throughout this movie where he won't put his money in his freaking pocket. <laughs> and it drove <laughs> me wild. Well, he's not, he's, the, he's not the only one. Haley didn't do it either. And she, they both Haley didn't do it, but it. Haley was better about it. Holding his money, just walking down the street with this wad of ones. But that's and, also very, very kid like. Like, <laughs> fair, fair. You don't, but you it, don't it, think you don't it, think about like I'll I'll tell you a story off air about some things that 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 I have seen my children do and it's uh... <laughs> okay that that that's fine I I I'll buy that it just it as a modern viewer I was like especially as someone who almost never uses cash like it just seems so egregious to me yeah that's <laughs> I was a, like that's another one of those like super dating things like. Oh, what cash. Wow. Yeah, that's a thing. Well, that... Okay. Maybe it was just me. Did, did most of these places look more like the 50s rather than the 80s to you? Yes, but that was a thing. Like, I remember. So, yes, it, like, it was. That was uh, I, it, Southwest U.S. I mean, I'm from the Southeast United States. Everything looked like the early well, 70s at the latest yeah, until about 2002. <laughs> Southeast United States didn't catch up until about the late 90s. Uh, I, I would say about 97 for at least for for the part of South Carolina that I was in, because I remember specifically, and this is going to be a very region specific thing uh, in Sparmer, South Carolina. There's a mall called the Westgate Mall, and it had this massive renovation because before it was all carpet, uh, brown and orange stripes throughout the entire thing, and it became a more what you would see in a modern mall today and i remember that being this massive update and that was probably like 95 to 97 ish is around the time that i remember that kind of change happening so even 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 where we were in in the 90s you know talking about it now yes you're you're right because and and, and when you're outside of major city areas i mean there's there's stuff there's places that i have driven by and and stopped in and you know, that's true in the state of Georgia. That still look like a lot of those places. Um, uh, as a small soundtrack note for this movie, the 89 version of the original artist, uh, 
that, that this version of send me an angel is awesome oh yeah i really really liked this version of send me an angel for some reason they chose to redo it this year uh in 1989 and i i just remember it sounding very different and so we were watching this movie i had to pause to make sure it was still the original artist that did it and i mean in general the soundtrack itself was pretty fun <laughs> uh, um oh go ahead so I was going to say, uh, I, I feel like we have, have gotten through a lot of our feelings about this movie and 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 just how like, well, like it's not I a tremendously not... great, like the things it does well, it does really, really well. So that's the thing. I think the things it does well, it does great. I think as a an emotional kids movie, the fantasy stuff is so fantastic that, it, yes, it makes the movie silly. But because the kids are grounded in real reality and real emotions, this movie absolutely soars. And I know you're trying to calm things down for us to, to, to end this episode, Drew. But I do think we need to talk a little bit about the absolute nonsense that is the video game portion of this of this movie. <laughs> OK, so a few things about the video game portion of this movie. Obviously, Nintendo was a, a sponsor of this movie. Many video games featured in this movie are Nintendo games that you would find on the Nintendo Entertainment System. However, many of the There's places version of all of them. <laughs> yeah, many of the places that you see them play video games are arcades where Oftentimes, some of these games did not exist or radically different versions of these games existed. Yeah, and, and there's there's a comment at one point that I actually tried to to look up because Lucas mentions having all 97 of the games. And I was like, were there only 97 games at the time? And then I looked up, there's only like, I think, 600 and some odd Nintendo games. Which to me sounded small, but I, I think that number was is is plus or minus twenty five. And ninety seven so seemed like both a shockingly small number as well as probably super large number. <laughs> right. So like in eighty nine, that was probably like oh yeah, that, that that's probably right. And also, this kid's got ninety seven games. Like at that time, at those prices, like what does parents do? Because they're in like a this like dust bowl town. They they're in a dust bowl town. That all is also, for some reason, an airport. <laughs> yes, but in, in, in that town, this kid's got the power glove, which had not come out yet. And while the power glove itself did actually sell a million units, it was still a massive, colossal failure. There are only two games that were specifically made for it. And one of them is not Rad Racer, although I'm imagining it could work that way. Uh, I can't remember if we talked about this off air, but the power glove was aesthetically awesome. It was conceptually useless. Yeah, it looked so cool. <laughs> I I only just learned as we were setting up for this episode, that the power glove had sensors that had to be around it in order for it to work. I didn't know that. Uh, I just assumed that, you know, I don't know what I assumed that. I still don't really know how power glove works. Um, I, I would like to point out another thing about this. That when they are in Reno gearing up, uh, that Haley calls the Nintendo power line for a yes. bunch of tips <laughs> and has them on the phone for like a full day. Yeah, multiple days, it seems like. Uh, because so this, this, this is the time period when because they win like 400 bucks at craps, and at that time, and I, I looked it up. 
400 bucks would get you about $849 in today's money. And at that time, that was a lot of money because when they were staying in that hotel in Reno, I was like, I turned, I turned to Chris and I was like, that would probably be 400 bucks total for the room alone today. Oh yeah, for sure. And, and the Nintendo power line is a real thing. Well, was a real thing. You could call it. Yeah. I, I don't know if it was a one 900 number, but I know it was a, a dial per minute number where you call in and an actual human being on the other end would give you tips out of these gigantic binders based on these games. Cause a lot of these binders have gotten leaked in the last couple of years uh, that were the, the, the things that they derived all their, their tips and hints from. And uh, that was just, it was neat to see that side of things reflected. Yeah. And I, I, I gotta give Nintendo props. I mean, they, they went all out. However, as much as they want to see how, how, correctly the the power glove was represented i wish they had done a little more effort into how i don't know mario 3 was represented because (laughs) this contest we haven't talked at all about this game contest with with a announcer who is clearly like the coked up announcer of almost every massive coked up announcer in the 80s that's that's (laughs) who he is well one thing i want to say before we get to that as they get up to it, there are two phases of the the contest. Of course, the final phase, because there's only two phases, which makes sense, I guess, somehow. Uh, the, the, the final phase is Mario 3. The first phase is Ninja Gaiden. And I just want to point that out because... This is the first time prior to when that the remake of that game came out for the Xbox whatever version it was in the 2000s. Uh, I had always grown up hearing it as Ninja Gaiden, Gaiden. Ninja Gaiden, mm-hmm. Ninja Gaiden. And I just lo- yes. I just wanted to throw out Ninja Gaiden. They got it. That was it. And that I, I was like, oh, he- so Nintendo did have a lot to do with this movie, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I also picked up on that because I think uh, either Haley or or Corey says it and, and says it very stiltedly. They say Gaiden. Ah, uh, when the, when, he knows when Ninja at- Gaiden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which which is uh, uh, essentially a tough game. But what I think bothers me the most, one, is I, I get that Todd Holland did not know anything about video games and Mario 3 was not out yet. Although how somehow everyone knew, go for the star, go for the star. Go for, go get for, this, the, get this. find the warp whistle. Like find the warp, well they didn't say the warp whistle, they oh, said find the, do not they get me find the, the warp whistle. Because one, uh, they kept saying World 2, World 2, and both of the levels that we see are level one and two of Mario 3. And if any of those kids were as good as they're supposed to be, it would not take them 15 minutes to get through those two levels. <laughs> All right. uh, secondly, the the warp whistle, and again, this is... I know I'm being nitpicky because it's in the castle of World 1. It bugs me so much because... He does get it and he gets it the, the correct way. But here's the thing is, if you've never seen this game, how do you know to go in the secret areas? How do you know to go in the secret areas that everybody's like, oh, he's going to find the warp doing this? Now, maybe if you knew that Mario one had warps all over the place when you did stuff like that. But uh, cool, and it's possible maybe they read the, the, the game, the, not the, the game, a uh, game pro or EGM, but also I don't know if you saw this, Drew. Did you see how they were playing these games? Did you did you see the controls they were working with? No. Oh my gosh! Go back on HBO Max and watch that scene. It's these this 
comically large joystick as the movement and then it's arcade the, buttons it's not the nes advantage controller is it i don't think so look it uh, up the nes advantage uh, controller most notable for being how the ghostbusters control the statue of liberty in ghostbusters 2 no, it is it is not that it is a bulbous joystick that comes out and then i mean like like there didn't there even notice that basically. i'll have to it Again, if you are a Nintendo fan, and again, I have forgiven him for all of these, you know, quote unquote slights and in- inconsistencies because <laughs> it's such a fun movie. But as a fan of the era, as a fan of these games, you're just poking at all these things being like, man, they are getting everything wrong about games, except I feel like the passion. I feel like the passion for games and a passion for the idea of what games can do for people is there and i think that is much more important and this this is how we'll kind of round things up other than saying uh double dragon's a two-player game and so i don't know why they were having this weird one-on-one competition at the beginning of the movie that that bugged the crap out of me <laughs> it might be a you know who can get the most number of points which seems how right i also would I, say I'm, I'm really happy that the the video game crowd not just the cheer the people cheering but the people playing was you know, male and female. It was not just mm-hmm. one particular type of person. Yeah, I, I thought I honestly I thought I thought everything they did with this movie was. I mean, across the board, pretty solid. And and we got to talk about the best scene in the movie is when Putnam tracks him down to Reno and Haley sees the guy about to grab Jimmy and she screams and then she goes, points at him and goes he touched my breasts and the 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 security guards in that casino where there's also inexplicably an arcade are on putnam taking him out have beaten him up you they've got a black eye in the next scene it's no the truckers i think beat him up oh you're right the truckers beat him up i'm sorry but but his whole thing his defense was and again this this even solidifies him as a sleazer guy he goes what breast yeah it's just and i'm like ooh, oofa doofa son you you done goofed um but uh, no i i think that uh all of the kids deliver a great uh great performance i really as much as i have loved jenny lewis's music career because rilo kylie was a massively important band for me in the early 2000s it was really part of my formative years in discovering independent music um i i could have easily seen her have an amazing film career she's so good in this movie it it almost bothers me that she didn't <laughs> um but other than that drew did you did uh, outside of i mean the, the scene that i i just mentioned did you have a favorite scene as we close this out because i mean i think it's clear that we both we both ha- have obviously problems with some of the the narrative gaffes in this movie but it's clear that we both kind of love this flick yeah, I mean, uh, of course, any, everything that happens in Reno is fantastic. The reveal of of Haley's backstory uh, is once we finally the the phone for whatever reason. Hmm? <laughs> when she's sitting in the pool, like one, not wearing a bathing suit or whatever. She's just like sitting at the pool in in full full clothing, but sunbathing and has the phone still talking to the Nintendo guy. Uh, I, I also absolutely love when Putnam actually gets Jimmy and he's got him in the car and all of a sudden 
you see the two semi trucks pull up behind him. Amazing scene. And then he comes up and he sees the two semi trucks already blocking the road ahead of him. And it's just you touched her breast. <laughs> I forgot that. One. Oh, I forgot that line was there. It was so good. Spanky is the unsung hero of uh, play, this movie. Played by Frank McRae, former defensive tackle for the Chicago Bears and a bunch of um, bunch of movies playing big dudes. I, w- I would also like to mention, because I, I see this for a fact, uh, Jenny Lewis still dressed like that up until her 30s. <laughs> like that kind of like floral dress with a T-shirt under it, or like a long shirt under it. Like <laughs> that style she kept for a very long time. I'm pretty sure there was no costume in that movie. She just came as is. <laughs> That's pretty great. Uh, um, but yeah, I, I absolutely loved revisiting this movie. It had been a very, I, I don't think I'd seen this since renting it on VHS again in Hollywood video era. So it's I, been a I, long time. I don't think I've seen it really since one or two times in the early 1990s. Uh, so I remembered the dinosaur scene of all scenes in that movie, not realizing its significance to the entire plot oh, of yeah. the film. All that stuff kind of glossed over. I pay, I paid more attention to the video game stuff and... I think Haley being witty. That was kind of my big takeaway in the 90s. But th- this movie is. I I understand why there's a two and a half hour cut. I, I think there is more pathos you could find here, but I think. I like talking about it more than actually seeing it because I think it would lose some of the magic if you if you put too much harsh realism here. Th- they distilled it down to what needed to be in. This. I agree. I think there's maybe one or two things that I could use just a little bit more on, but ultimately it's agreed. It's it's got a, a lot of the cruft that could happen in a movie like this cut out, and I'm 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 happy with it. Yeah. I, I mean I'm absolutely I'm absolutely gonna buy this this Blu-ray and I'm also going to watch these deleted scenes to see what they do because I know they also delve more into Nick's stuff too. I just want to see what they do and if they could have, you know, what what it would have been like with these scenes in it because at the same time i don't think this movie needs to be two and a half hours long no i think it would have been too much um but i think that's gonna close the book on our uh consolation prize of watching the wizard um i i'm glad they did this consolation prize i think this is the prize i i was i was very happy with this movie Well, don't pay attention to the way this episode is going to be titled, because that's what I'm calling these video game episodes. (laughs) Uh, Um, So let's talk as we move away from the wizard into next week. We we hinted at this at the very beginning of the episode. Uh, December is upon us, gang. And well, you know what we like to do in December, but we're going to extend it to the whole month. It's Maury's month where we are going to be giving out awards. The Maury Awards. And uh, uh, when there was three or four of us, we would kind of have all of us come together and talk about our favorite, you know, X things, our movies, uh, games, comics, whatever. And now that there's just two of us (laughs) for the time being, what Drew and I have decided to do is we're going to spend a whole week talking about our favorite particular things in each medium and because to be quite honest this year has spent a lot of time 
consuming media. <laughs> Absolutely. And especially with the two of us, I, before we could all, you know, vote, you know, if, if, you know, two of us voted for Avengers Infinity War, which I think is what happened. And I think Drew voted for uh, Into the Spider-Verse, which I hadn't seen at the time, you know, that movie won. So now we're just basically, we're both giving out awards. Uh, in 2021, if we have a third nerd pop up uh, more frequently, like Tyler did, maybe we'll bring them in for a, a singular episode. But but yeah, for this year, we're going to do a, a month-long Maury's and talk about the best of entertainment or, or nerd entertainment in 2020. Yeah, and we're going to kick that off uh, next week talking about movies, uh, mostly because almost all of the movies that are going to be out this year are out. Uh, there are still a few. There's one in particular that we're kind of waiting on seeing, but it's gonna not going to come out until after our mores are already done. That's Wonder Woman mm-hmm. 1984. Uh, so we're going to talk about movies next week, uh, follow that up with video games the following week, and then end it all uh, with TV, uh, because there was a lot of TV this year. Oh, yes. Somehow. Um, and and we will, uh, as we usually do, take Christmas off. And we'll see uh, after that. We'll see you in the new year. Yeah. Uh, and I, I will go ahead and spoil January for you. I won't tell you what we're doing, but for those of you who voted for our syndication September, we will be doing our first full deep dive. Ooh, it's going to be good. It might take forever to get through it, but, uh, well, we'll, 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 we're going to plan on how we're going to do that, 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 that show. Uh, it, it might be a, a the entire month of January. It might be a six week thing. We'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, but uh, Drew, tell people how they can get in touch with us, please, because I want to know what your favorite things were of 2020. Yeah. If you're movies, comics, games books whatever you loved tell us we'll talk about it on the show even if we haven't consumed it ourselves we will definitely say what you said about it so tell us why you loved what you loved in 2020 then you can find us at the you can tweet to us at the more you nerd you can find us at facebook.com slash the more you nerd and of course you can always, always, always email us the more you nerd at gmail.com that's the more you nerd at gmail dot com and until then we're gonna end this episode like we always do with a rousing nerd nerd out <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>